You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. May God use and overrule my words. May God's word only be spoken. God's word only be heard. Amen. Well, hello there, everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, It's been a glorious morning already, and now we're going to keep going. Um, And I really appreciate the batteries, Craig. (laughs) I want to say, just for a minute, uh, your leadership has been extraordinary during this very difficult uh, and challenging time with the pandemic and the change in uh, having a dean, and you've just done a a great job, and I appreciate it, and I know many of the folks here appreciate it. And I thought as you went down the side aisle and went around there and talked about my microphone, how you have to be everywhere. (laughs) Um, And I thank you. Thank you for being that conscientious and caring about it. And I want to say, Catherine, I could, I could listen to you read that again, and maybe the third time and the fourth time. And the choir, I could listen to you do the anthem uh, or the, the um, psalm again if you want to. I'll, I'll uh, what do they say in, in the legislature? I'll yield my time to you. <laughs> Uh, it, it was just extraordinary. Your music is, uh, tran- transports you. I hope you all know that. This is, <clears throat> you live at the beach and you see the water all the time. I don't live at the beach. I'm, just, I'm visiting and I get a chance to hear it and it's extraordinary. Um, so it's good to be here and, and to celebrate with you the confirmation of uh, people committing themselves to Jesus out in public with all of us watching. That, that is a gift to everyone here. And I thank you. Thank you all for preparing, for doing all the work, for going to all the classes, for realizing how much you don't know yet, and for still uh, saying that you want to follow Jesus. That, that is uh, a central question in everyone's life, and a lot of people try to avoid answering it. But... <clears throat> A couple of years ago, actually, I think it was three, someone clarified it for me this morning. Just before the pandemic, I found myself one morning, one Sunday morning, the very fourth Sunday of Easter at St. George's Anglican Cathedral in Jerusalem. And I know many of you have been there, um, and so you know what I'm talking about when I say that every Sunday, each Sunday, they have services in a variety of languages um, to minister to the vast array of humanity that comes through their doors uh, that is culturally different, that has different language. Um, And our group of 40 American pilgrims accidentally landed in the Arabic language service instead of the English-speaking service, which we might have understood more When the preacher started, he realized that he was preaching to lots of people who had absolutely no idea what he was saying. And so he said, I will start in Arabic and summarize in English. Imagine if I did that. I wish I had the talent, but no. 
So he spoke in Arabic for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then he stopped. And then in English he said, Jesus is the good shepherd. And you know what that means. He leads us to what we need, no matter what. He protects us. He is a shepherd who will die for us. He saves us from evil. He loves us because we are his sheep. It was extraordinary. In a church packed with people from all over the world, this preacher condensed the gospel into something that transcended language and culture. And it made me wonder, is there something universally powerful about hearing that Jesus is the good shepherd? He loves us. He protects us from evil because we are his sheep. In our gospel story today, that is what Jesus has just told a group of believers and non-believers that are gathered around him. You see, he healed a man born blind, and the leaders of the temple got very upset because they cannot decide who Jesus really is. And they keep saying to him, why don't you tell us who you really are? So he says and shows them that he is the Messiah, and they do not believe it. They don't believe it. So all through the entire 10th chapter of John, he tells them, I am the good shepherd. I am the gatekeeper. I am not a hired hand who will run away when trouble comes. I don't, a hired hand doesn't own the sheep and will leave you when the wolf shows up. I am the shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now in scripture, the ideal king is pictured as a shepherd may be modeled on the shepherd boy David, who was the king after God's own heart. And this is the way Israel wanted to talk about their ideal king. But they had their share of leaders and warlords and bad shepherds and those who would submit to Rome. So Jesus is posing the question, how will you tell God's true appointed king when he finally shows up? And the answer is, you can tell the true king In the very same way, you can tell the true shepherd. I remember when I was in Israel, we traveled to Bethlehem, uh, birthplace, of course, of Jesus, and at the birth site in a church managed by Catholics, Greek Orthodox, and Protestant leaders. Um, It's a complex arrangement, like a bad church meeting. Our guide was a young Christian Palestinian woman named Sana. And someone asked her how long her people had been Christian. And she answered, only since 33 AD. (laughs) And believe me, everybody on the bus got real quiet. But um, it was great. She reminded us how Jesus taught using simple everyday illustrations that everyone would understand Things like birds of the air and wheat and flowers in the field and mustard bushes and fish and bread. And he very often talked a lot about sheep. Around Bethlehem, sheep are still being herded and brought to market even today. There's a group called the Bedouins who live in the desert hills outside Jerusalem and they raise sheep. And they shun technology and other modern trends. And Sana said... That today and in Jesus' day, shepherds are still incredibly poor. The poorest ones would combine their flocks at night to share one single cave. 
and the cave had no gate. So the shepherd would sleep outside the cave's entrance to protect the herd from the predators and the thieves and the bad guys. The shepherd became the gate. Come morning, the shepherd would call his sheep and each herd would reform because they knew their own shepherd's unique voice. Well, when Jesus walks along the portico, the colonnade of Solomon in our story today, he's walking in the part of the temple open to women and outsiders, historically the place where King Solomon would make proclamations and judgments. John says Jesus is there for the festival of the dedication, also known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah celebrates the time that the Jews conquered Greek invaders, reclaimed, cleansed, and rededicated the temple. And their mourning was turned to joy in happy times and hope. The crowd following Jesus expects to hear about kings and grand victory, and instead, Jesus tells them about the good shepherd. Those who believe will hear my voice and they will follow he promises eternal life, and no one, no one will snatch the sheep out of God's hands. At All Saints in Homewood, where I spent a really happy and exciting 16 years, they put up with me for that long. We would read the 10th chapter of John's Gospel to three and four-year-olds. We didn't read a story about it. We read the actual text to three and four-year-olds. And we would illustrate the story by walking a wooden shepherd into a little sheepfold with wooden sheep one by one. A group of four-year-olds watched the teacher moving the shepherd into the fold. And as the teacher said, the sheep hear his voice and they know him. Jesus is the good shepherd. The teacher asked the question, what do the sheep need? The kids replied, Altogether, they need water, sunshine, grass. And then a little guy named Sam blurts out, they need juice. You see, the children figure out without us telling them that they are the sheep. We don't tell them. They just get it. They hear the scripture and the words speak to them, bypasses their intellect, goes into their heart. They know they belong to him, and therein lies the clue. Belonging doesn't happen just because someone tells us we belong, and I don't believe in God because I will myself to believe. I have gone through periods early in life when I tried that. It doesn't work. One famous preacher imagines if God wrote a message in letters blazing across the sky, a message that said, I really exist God is real. Well, at first, the churches would fill up with people. The wars would stop. But then eventually, life would return to normal before the message. Because while we crave and want certainty, like the Pharisees, what we want more is the experience of God's presence. And only grace can provide that. We learn we belong because we meet God in the sheep that we encounter. We experience God in the middle of our failures and our joys. We receive forgiveness and grace when we know that we do not deserve it. 
We hear our shepherd's voice in the grace that God sends our way. We listen for his voice as we pray and learn and live together, as we confess our sins and we repent, as we realize we've made mistakes and turn again toward God. We hear his voice when we reach out to love each other. Now today, Jesus refusing to be the king the Pharisees want causes them, just a couple of sentences after what we read, to take up stones and threaten to kill him. This particular exchange is the last straw for the Pharisees, and they finally decide they have to get Jesus. And when he returns to Bethany and he raises Lazarus in the next chapter, that miracle will lead to the charge that gets him crucified. Jesus' pronouncement that he's the good shepherd whose power comes from God the Father who loves the shepherd becomes real only when he expresses the Father's own love for the world by giving up his life for it. As Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright says, the cross is the power of love overcoming the world's love of power. I read that a better word for good, as in good shepherd, is best translated from the Greek into beautiful, not referring to attractive looks or beautiful looks in appearance, but beautiful as in attractive, as in how we are attracted to what Jesus brings into each life. Maybe we call Jesus the good shepherd to emphasize the strange and compelling power of his love. He lays down his life for the sheep. He calls us, and we follow because it's home. Now, loving each other is a challenge, and we don't do it very well, me included. Psychologist Rollo May once wrote, Humans are the strangest of all God's creatures because they run fastest when they have lost their way. I think that's why Jesus reminds us so many times and many places that we have to ask God for help. Jesus encourages us to stay together, to depend on each other, and even when he sends the disciples out to do ministry, he doesn't send them alone. He sends them in twos, which is why I'm so glad you have sponsors and people that are with you. To, to guide you and help you, and they're going to take a vow in a minute. God's designed us to need each other so we can be only with each other fully who God intends us to be. Someone said Christ is present to us insofar as we are present to each other. <clears throat> Today, as we confirm and receive you into the body of Christ in church, and into the church in a different way. The prayers we say, the laying on of hands, the conf- confirms that the Holy Spirit that you received at baptism has been at work the whole time. We call attention to that Spirit's presence, but we also pray that God will send a whole lot more. Just send more and more Holy Spirit to form and shape and create you to be the follower that Jesus wants you to be. Even our hardest times can be places that are riddled with abundant life. I always ask new godparents to pray for their godchild every day, to teach them the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the 23rd Psalm. I know all y'all could recite that to me if I made you, if I stood you up and said, tell me that. Um, The Lord's Prayer, because that's directly from Jesus. The Ten Commandments, because they're like ten good ways to live. Best practices for loving God and living in community. 
And the 23rd Psalm, because Google says it's the number two most popular, best known. No, not because of Google. I was just trying to see if you're still listening. I, <clears throat> I really want us to memorize it because we need it. It connects us to church, churched and unchurched, all denominations and faiths, most often memorized and most often by unchurched people requested at funerals by people in trouble. That's what they want you to pray. Saying the words of what they sang a few minutes ago leads to still water, and it also reminds us that we have a good shepherd. When we pray the words of Psalm 23, we're addressing God, even though we hope that others will hear. We say, I fear no evil, for God is with me. When we reach out in God's name to each other, when we show up faithfully in the good and bad times, we're standing in for the one who created us and loves us. We're living the central promise of the gospel, which is that God will always be with us. When problems, loss, and loneliness come, and we do that, we are living a stubborn hope. The psalm says, goodness and mercy shall follow me. I read the word follow can be translated into pursue. So maybe God's goodness and mercy relentlessly chase us. That sounds like God to me. That's why John Calvin called God the hound of heaven, who demands to be near us, regardless of how we feel about him. All this made me wonder, <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't beg so much for an easy life, still waters, green pastures. Maybe I should pray for the grace to listen, to draw near, to follow, even if the shepherd is marching into the valley of the shadows. Maybe I should pray for more than comfort. I should pray for healing of the world, the grace to follow our Lord, trusting that even in the dark, we are loved and blessed and given hope. Salvation is seeing that the Good Shepherd is with us always, and goodness and mercy are always close at hand. Today is Mother's Day. It is a secular holiday, but I have to say it is a great chance to give thanks for all the blessings that our mothers have given us. They have been great examples of Jesus' love. They've modeled grace and faith for many of us. So give thanks for them, if you can, to them. If you can't, remember. And happy Mother's Day to each of the mothers that I'm seeing. I also give thanks for all of you today and for the very faithful and rich ministry of the Advent. You are a beacon of light to our diocese, the church, and the world. Your local and international outreach, your 150 plus years of preaching and teaching, testifying to the love of God in Christ Jesus, is an anchor of hope and light for the world and for all of us. And I give thanks for your love, your faith, and your leadership. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.